All of the government programs that we don't like are funded by theft. All of the government programs that we do like... Oh, sorry, there aren't any. Government is the reason that healthcare is expensive. Government is the reason you can't go to college. Taxation is theft. And welcome back to Taxation is Theft, the show with the intro music that sounds a lot like Call of Duty. I just realized that like a couple weeks ago, and I keep mentioning to bring it up, but I keep forgetting. No, but really, we're the show that talks about all the ways the government is ripping you off and what you can do to stop them. And we're broadcasting live on Facebook and YouTube from an underground bunker deep within the Me- deep within the jungles of Mexico. I've also had a real problem talking lately for some reason. I'm Dan Taxation Theft Berman, former candidate for president of the United States, currently in the race for governor of Texas. And today I have a very special guest, Dan Fishman, executive director of People for Liberty. Um, Dan's an awesome guy. Um, we had we had uh, we had sushi in Utah one time. Um, we'll tell you all about it. But um, uh, I know I've been on his podcast. I'm trying to think, has he been on this podcast before? I don't know. I talked to him so much, it's hard to keep track. But before we get started, if you're watching this live stream, make sure to like and share and comment and ask all of your questions just by putting them into the comments. And of course, do those super comments where you send us lots of money and we'll give you a shout out. Um, tonight's episode is brought to you by the Nug of Knowledge, indoor grown, chemical free, smokable hemp flower and Delta 8 vape cartridges, legal in all 50 states for now. So hurry up and get yours before the DEA outlaws it at nugofknowledge.com. And now on to the show. Dan, welcome. Uh, I can't hear you. That's because I was muted. There we go. I had to be quiet while the thing was starting because I'm a professional. Um, <laughs> but I also have a rule that I drink every time I talk when I see. I don't have a bottle in here. All right, that's fine. Well, if it's going to be that kind of a show, uh, let me go get my rum. Yeah, no, dude, fire it up. I'll, I'll, I'll go here. I have some nice uh, edibles that I can fire that up. Oh. Well. Nice little uh, oh. five milligram sent to me by in Massachusetts from Massachusetts because uh, I live in a state with prohibition. There is technically mm. medical here in Maryland where I live. But so let me tell you how, just how stupid these laws are. Um, keep talking. I'm going to get my yeah, wrong. You keep talking. I'm going to fail. I can hear um, you. Yep. Uh, so in Maryland, where I live, there is medical, but if you get medical, you can't have a concealed carry permit. And what's really stupid is, until very recently, I was the uh, executive director of the Libertarian Party. Uh, I have a license so that I can carry in Maryland and I can carry in Virginia. In order to be able to carry in Washington D.C. Uh, you have to go into a Washington, D.C. police department and have your fingerprints taken. And I haven't done that. I'm just not, not going to go into a police station and let them have my fingerprints. I, mean, I know they've got them already. But so the drive to my office, though, goes across the Wilson Bridge. For those of you who are familiar with the DMV, that is the southernmost bridge. It goes from Alexandria over into uh, National Harbor, Maryland. And you also might know that Washington, D.C. is a diamond. And so the very southern tip of the diamond goes over the uh, Wilson Bridge. So driving to work 
I would very briefly pass into Washington, D.C. And uh, like if you're driving on Google Maps, it would say, welcome to Washington, D.C. Welcome to Virginia. And it wouldn't say that on the southern part of the bridge either. So that's how little of it of the tip of the diamond I was. And <laughs> I always thought to myself, you know, they're going to bust me for that. If I'm somehow carrying back and forth from my house through to Virginia, they're going to have this, at some point in time, it's going to come up that I drove through that little tip of Washington, D.C. without, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm being paranoid. But as I like to say, I know I'm being paranoid, but am I being paranoid enough? <laughs> right. Hey, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. Exactly right. Exactly no. right. And they are after that, right? I got a there's, there are too many negatives in that. I don't know if I double negated the double negatives. I, I got to quickly plug my other thing too. May Go 1st, National Libertarian Day of Service. We want anybody who's involved in the liberty movement at all this Saturday, find a way to get out, wear some libertarian garb. I might be wearing my taxation stuff t-shirt. Um, but whatever it is, get out and do something in your libertarian gear so that somebody sees you doing stuff. Take some pictures. We're going to post it everywhere. We've got a couple thousand people signed up already all across the country. I don't think we have anybody in Mexico yet, but find a way to do something. Information is very easy to find. Peopleforliberty.org slash NLDOS, National Libertarian Day of Service. Peopleforliberty.org slash NLDOS. Awesome. That's my plug. I'm just trying to think. Like, um, can I, uh, maybe I can rent like a jet ski and just go up and down the beach with my taxationist theft flag behind me? Like, that's, that's totally like, good. Uh, you know, doing a, a, an online fundraising, one of the things that a lot of people are doing actually is uh, Feeding America, which is one of my favorite charities. Uh, Feeding America makes it really easy to put together a virtual food drive. Since they, you find 20 people who say, yeah, I'll contribute five bucks. And you raise $100 for Feeding America with, because of the relationships they have. And they're all private. Feeding America is not involved with the government at all. But they maintain food banks everywhere. And 100 bucks means a lot to them. So that's an easy thing to do. What I'm doing is, uh, so like uh, a lot of people when the uh, pandemic first hit, I bought a lot of stuff, food, things like that. And I just kept stockpiling. I now think that is unnecessary. And a lot of these things I'm looking at is, oh, he says my audio sounds bad. That is a good note. I will try to adjust that. Hang on. Does my audio sound better now? Oh, yeah, that sounds much better. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so tone deaf, I couldn't tell the difference. Thanks, Keith. I couldn't tell the difference before. It's because it's the first <laughs> time that uh, I've been on on restream and so it went to the microphone for my camera instead of oh. this bad boy anyway so uh yeah. i have all this food stuff that i bought a year ago that i don't need anymore and i talked to a bunch of my neighbors and i uh they all have food that like you know dry goods stuff like that that is a year old till still totally good but they're like yeah we don't need this stuff in our pantry anymore so i'm just gonna drive the truck around collect everything I can from all my neighbors, take it down to the uh, local food bank. Easy cheesy right. national libertarian day of service. That's, that's actually like a, a good idea. So like I was into prepping for a while and like, I was like, you know, stockpiling all kinds of food that I would probably never eat. Um, 
but you know, it's like, it's, it's safe food. It's good food. It's got the calories you need and it lasts for a while. But like at, you know, after a certain while, it's like, you're supposed to cycle the food out and get new stuff. And it was basically just me and my wife and, and the, the kids, which are two right. little dogs. And, um, and so like, like if, if, if you're doing that and you're in that position, that's an absolute perfect use of like, you know, cycling out the food. If you're not going to eat it, like donate it because it's not, I mean, it's not like trash food. It's not like it's right. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like, and, um, and yeah, like no, canned, this is... canned corn and beans and stuff. And it's like, exactly. Yeah, canned reason. corn. Uh, we've done a pretty good job of cycling through, uh, rice. Like I, I went out and bought two 50 pound bags of rice when things hit just because that's where I am. Uh, but we've used up all of those, but I got boxes of pasta, um, canned everything. Um, just a lot of stuff that doesn't go bad. Jars of peanut butter, uh, you know, because there's a lot of emergencies that require peanut butter. You don't want to be without peanut butter in an emergency. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's essentially uh, where I am. So, so I'm, I actually am going to be kind of interested in seeing what my neighbors have. Like one guy told me that he has like, he went out and bought like a stack this big of sardines. Uh, and I know they're still good, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not I, judging. I mean, I, I still don't know why anyone b buys a can this big of sardines, but that's another story. <laughs> right. Um, Fair enough. So, <laughs> so, um, all right. So, so intellectual property, this came up because I made an extremely controversial post, apparently, um, about intellectual property. And, and I want to say this, because this, the reason this came up was, you know, I talked to a lot of libertarians who are running campaigns and like, you know, a lot of them, they, they don't want to spend the money on a web developer. Oh, I can just get a Wix account and do it myself. They don't want to spend money on graphic designers, logos, um, somebody to edit their commercials. And like, you know, some of that is you could look at it as service. A lot of it is service, um, but it's it's intellectual property, right? Like, why should I pay somebody, especially at the bigger scale? Why should I pay somebody um, to come up with a campaign slogan for me when it's just like three words? Anybody could come up with three words. I'll put it down. Make America great again. That was brilliant. Four I words. bet Trump came up with that. And, uh, you know, while he was sitting on the toilet one day, um, which may or may not be true but he could have also paid someone 500 million dollars to come up with it yep. and it worked so um you know he i mean most likely the reality is he, he probably you know he probably paid like thousands of dollars to put it into market research groups and see how well people responded to it and all that kind of stuff before it was ever even used publicly um now my point is not to say that we should be doing that yet we don't have I don't think anyone in the LP has that kind of money yet. Although it could be done on a small scale, but well, I mean, the, th the thing about it is, is that fundamentally you get what you pay for. And mm. so, uh, you know, that free logo is worth every single cent that you pay for it. And mm -hmm. I'll tell you, uh, boy, if we're in the process of embarrassing ourselves, uh, I constantly made now. So I, mm. I am, I am a computer professional. I'm a programmer which means I could think I can do all sorts of stuff with computers that I shouldn't do like design logos and stuff like that. And I have a picture of my old logo that I made myself. Uh, and it's a head, it's a man's head with a fish going over the top of it because I thought it looked like fish man. And I thought that made a tremendous amount of sense. I was so proud of it. 
And then is that any relation to Aquaman? No relationship to Aquaman, <laughs> the worst of all the superheroes. Um, but then fortunately, I had a volunteer come on to uh, my campaign. Very talented guy by the name of Matt Hudson. Ended up doing uh, Joe Jorgensen's website, the good one. Uh, and uh, he's done a lot of work for People for Liberty. And he looked at that logo. He's like, Dan, I, I, I'm a professional at this. So he sells uh, a million no other things. But, but specifically, he sells uh, very high-end six-figure automobiles via Facebook ads. And he's like, I know marketing. I know imaging. And this is not going to, this may lose you votes. <laughs> so let's make a better logo. And so he came up with a much better logo for me. And it was so good. And that made such a huge difference to my campaign because now the first things that I was putting out in front of people, they would say, Oh, look, you know, th this, this guy's legit. And, you know, fortunately he came to me as a volunteer uh, and was willing to do that. But it's something that, you know, I should have spent at least $500 on, in my opinion. Uh, and I did actually spend some money on earlier uh, and people can go to Elance and there's other contracting sites where people will design a logo for you for money. And I guarantee you, whatever they make, in fact, there's a bidding one where you can ask three people to design a logo for you. Say, I'm going to pay a hundred bucks for it and you'll get three designs and you give the hundred dollars to whoever makes the best one. It's not a bad way to do things, but hiring a professional is so much better than trying to do something yourself. Right. And so, and we'll get into like all the tangents that this conversation went into, but that was sort of the intent of my post was to say, look guys, like, like, yeah, anybody can draw a logo, but if you want a good one, it's going to cost you money. And I, I think my connection was that like, you know, like I get it. Some people are just cheap and they want to save the money. But I, I think my intent was to say this, you know, this is intellectual property and is there a correlation between libertarians not valuing the logo and and um, and the the campaign slogan because it's just intellectual property? And I know a lot of libertarians have issues with intellectual property laws. Um, and yeah, so the original post was to say there's a difference between the laws, the protection laws, and we can disagree with those all day. But at the end of the day, we have to recognize that there is non tangible property which is typically called intellectual property that has value. And so this branched off into a million discussions, but. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, is that I do think, you know, before we go on, we need to very clearly talk about what's the difference between the various parts of intellectual property, because, you know, there's, there's broad intellectual property, which means something you created with your mind. Okay. Uh, but there's also trademark, which is, you know, like the Coca-Cola sign. That's probably the most famous one. Coca-Cola is so vigorous about defending their trademark. Well, I'll give you a great example. Uh, back in the day, I worked for uh, Palm and we had a device that was called the Palm 7. It actually was the first mobile device. Uh, it had a little antenna that turned up and over the little old GSM network, <laughs> you get, you know, like eight bits a second or something. Yeah. Um, but get the right. name of the project internally was Skywalker because we're like, oh, that's cool. And we love Star Wars and all that stuff. George Lucas sued us. He sued us over the intellectual property of the name Skywalker, which, you know. Because you were 
Well, I guess, I mean, you know, it's okay to use it internally, but I guess you weren't using it internally enough. Well, what happened was somebody was at a conference and they said, well, we've got this thing coming out. We're calling it Project Skywalker. That was it. Cease and desist. Loose lips sink ships. Yep. So, right, exactly. What's the point of having a code word if you're telling somebody <laughs> what it is? Well, I mean, engineers wow. are terrible spies. But so <laughs> that's that's trademark. And I, I agree with the idea of trademark, right? I can't... Uh, take a Coca-Cola label uh, and, and, you know, say, oh, you know what? I'm going to make a soda pop and I'm also going to call it Coca-Cola. Right? I mean, Coca, Cola, right? right? Why, why would those things be in particular? There it is. Right. So I, I think the trademark is a legitimate thing. And copyright, right? The idea that an author creates a work and, uh, you know, it's theirs. Uh, I cannot you know, using a photocopier, republish uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and put my name on it by Dan Fishman and then sell copies right. of that. I, I support that idea of copyright as well. However, intellectual property in terms of patents, especially what's called business patents, the way of doing something, that I just think is crazy. And... To take it even further, I will say that uh, medical patents, medicine that somebody engineers, I think that is not patentable at all. If there's a medicine that will save my life and you made it, but you're willing to sell me a pill, if I can take it apart and figure out what's in it, I should be allowed to make as many as I need to save my life. I don't think there's anything right about that. And what's crazy about it is, you know, we saw... Uh, you know, you did the uh, the insulin thing, something that's very close to that, uh, uh, epinephrine. We had this big case in New York where epinephrine, which you could buy a bottle this big for $25 uh, at a veterinary store, uh, but epinephrine saves kids' lives when they eat a peanut or get bitten by a fire ant or stung by a bee and they have an allergic reaction. Now, we can argue about that a lot, too, about how, whether or not, you know, that is but so they made this thing called the epi pen that's a pen and it has the epinephrine in it and anybody can do it anybody can take it and stab it into a kid's leg and it will deliver the epinephrine and they won't die from shock but then of course the way things work because of intellectual property laws is that somebody patents the shape of the epi pen and then they get laws passed that require a school to have x number of epi pen epi pens in the nurse's station based on the number of students. And then they get another law passed saying, oh, and these pens are going to expire each year. So you have to buy a new one each year. The next thing you know, government is forcing people to buy EpiPens at this patent protected price. And the price of ephedrine pens kept going, keeps going up to, I think they did risen up to $500 a pen, which right. is one dose. When, like I said, a dose, th this many doses, you know, like a thousand doses, is only $25 in terms of the actual medicine. Well, so check us out. Um, I, I, there's a bunch of points I want to come back to, but um, while we're on Epi, so there was another company that had a pen that basically did the exact same thing, but because of the patent, it couldn't operate the same way. So they had to create another mechanism and they did this and they were like, we'll sell it for $25. But then the FDA said, we can't approve this because if everyone's used to using the EpiPen oh and then God. they take your pen and they try to press the button and it's not there because it has to be somewhere else because of the patent, 
then they're going to be confused and someone might die. So we can't approve this. And it's like, but, but check this out. I was doing a little bit of research. Apparently there's a 3d printable EpiPen that you can get the only, the only problem. And, and well, I, I don't know, I don't know how, um, how many of these problems they've figured out, but you can print the plastic body, but then you have to figure out how to get a needle and how to get the epinephrine in there. And if you can't, I know you say you can buy a bottle at the vet, but I'm guessing they're not allowed to sell it to you. Um, <laughs> if you can figure out some way to do that and maybe, you know, um, get the 3D printable pen where it's not just it shoots the injection, but it actually figures out a way to um, to, you know, yeah. uh, I guess inject it back into the container that's in there. Um, you could you could solve this problem and have very inexpensive EpiPens. Of course, you're going to run into the problem. And, and this is like this is a problem that um, I know it's a problem that I'm facing with the insulin where, you know, people are like, but is this legitimate? Cause imagine right. somebody hands you a pen and they're like, you know, it looks like it was made in someone's basement and it's got duct tape all over it. And they're like, it's epinephrine, just use it. It'll bring him to life. And it's like, uh, I don't know, dude, like maybe there's heroin in there or something because it didn't come from some big corporation with some big package brand name on it, but everyone right. drinks Coca-Cola and it's safe because it comes from the factory and it's all packaged nicely. Right. But the reality is, if you're dealing with some, if you're circumventing all these regulations, it's going to come from a black market-ish, at least a gray market um, thing, like 3D printing in someone's basement, and it's not going to have that packaging. Um, you know, yeah. it, there isn't going to be that consistency from from your different purchases. Um, and so this is this is still the result of those regulations. Yeah, I mean, I do know a place where we can get needles cheap, only been used once. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sorry. That <laughs> terrible joke. Uh, although I don't know if you've had a chance to go back yet and watch the, uh, the uh, 420 podcast sponsored by uh, nug of knowledge, I might add. Um, but we had a uh, guy on there who was an insurance cannabis insurance expert. And one mm -hmm. of the things he talked about is that in Massachusetts, they insure growers. However, in order for them to be willing to insure growers, they go out and they inspect their facilities, make sure that they're doing everything, that there's no mold, no diseases, no rats, uh, stuff like that. He's like, you know, he's like, I'm biased because I'm in the insurance industry, but you would want to buy cannabis that came from a grow operation that we insured because our standards are so high. No government involved, just the insurance right. oversight as opposed to something else, which is a pretty awesome thing. Uh, the EpiPen thing, you know, that's that's insane. I, I want people to be able to print to uh, to save money and to save lives. So like to see that. So I think I think we agree on that part of intellectual property being incredibly stupid. Yeah, um, sorry, I'm like trying to. So so Restream does this thing where it like puts a notice up on top of the comments. So I can't read it. Um, Right. But, uh, I, well, I, see, yeah. I see we have somebody saying it's regulations, not patent do it. But there actually is the patent on the mechanism of the uh, EpiPen. That's what the right. problem is. There is no patent on uh, epinephrine because it's been around for forever. It's a drug that is no longer protected by the medical patent on it. Uh, right. And for people who don't know how medical patents work, let me get into a little bit of that. Can I swear on your show, Dan? Fucking of course. All right, let me get into a little bit of that bullshit then. Uh, so normally the FDA will issue a patent for 14 years on a medicine. However, if you have an upgrade to that medicine, you can 
release that upgrade and get an extension of 14 more years on your patent. And so the problem with that is that two years in, you know, two years in, Moderna might make an amazing upgrade to their vaccine, but they say, you know what? We're not going to release it for 12 more years so we can get another 14 years out of our patent and we, then we'll release the upgrade. So we're actually all being harmed by that patent system anyway. That process is called evergreening and it's it's a terrible thing and it happens all the time. It prevents right. us from getting new medicine that could quickly come to market. And of course, the other thing about it is, is that, uh, you know, in this case, we see this, you know, collaboration where everybody's working on the vaccine together. But normally what happens when one drug comes to market, that usually kills all the other ones that are in the pipeline that might actually be better because these guys are going to have the medical patent. Right. Well, I mean, you, you also have like the whole concept of first to market, right? You've got, so, so let's say, right. Um, you've got three companies and they're working on a cure for COVID. One of them is going to come out with it first. They're going to be first to market, first to market pretty much guarantees they're going to get something like 60 to 80% of the market share, no matter what, unless, I mean, fraud, yeah. I was just saying, right. unless the fraud cases of people who are going around to get the vaccine illegally when it first came out in December. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say that would be an exception is when you have a pandemic and everybody's like rushing to buy it, that, that, that even the first to market can't even keep up with the supply. Um, but, you know, in, in this case, it's like, OK, so you invested 50 million dollars. You don't have the finished product yet, so you can't patent it. Right. And then somebody else, somebody else beat you to market. Well, all that all that money you've been investing is is gone anyway. So now part of the argument for, for this intellectual property is there's no incentive for a pharmaceutical company to make all these amazing advancements in in medical science if they can't patent it and protect it and get their return. But the reality is, I, I think that's actually working against us because, you know, it, so first of all, um, and, and this is this is a much bigger problem. It, it's a much bigger societal problem than just than just, you know, how to distribute these resources like this. But, um, you know, you have investors who are looking at it. OK, look, if we can patent this, and, and we can get it to market, we're gonna make a bunch of money over here. But at the same time, if those same people are saying, okay, look, if we, uh, okay, COVID, it could cost $50 million to come up with a cure. We're gonna sell it once to 100 million people um, in, over the course of a year, and we're never gonna hear about it again because COVID is gonna be cured. Or we're gonna invest $50 million in this project, which is gonna create a vaccine, which we're gonna be able to tell people they need two doses of every year and a hundred and something million people are going to get it. Right. And we're going to get that money back every year and every year and every year. Which one are you going to invest your money in? It's not the cure. It's the vaccine. And this is the same way they think on everything, like treatment versus cure, right? And so this yeah. is this is where the money goes. So we already have, so people are like, if, if it weren't for the patents, they wouldn't be, you know, coming up with this, like these, these, amazing innovations in medical science. The reality is they're already not coming up with amazing innovations in medical science because they're distracted by whichever one is going to give them more profits. Right. And, and the underlying, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say there's a, uh, Chris Rock has a great routine where he says, you know, the, uh, the pharmaceutical companies, they are kicking themselves about polio. They're like, man, polio was, Terrible. People were so fearful. Why did we cure it? 
Why didn't we just come up with like, you know, a vaccine that you have to keep getting every year, like diabetes or something? Uh, and I think it's one of my uh, one of my favorite jokes. And so you're exactly right. Yeah. So and, and this kind of goes to, you know, I just want to I don't want to divert too much into this, but like the bigger societal problem that I think we have is that, you know, like some of the early medications were even the, the early doctors who were the first doctors that those weren't their jobs. They were being called like heretics, heretics for like cutting open dead people and trying to figure out how the human body works. Right. Like exactly. People did this because they had spare time and they liked researching and, and, and doing things. You look at like, um, uh, what was his name? Ben Franklin. He was kind of like, he was kind of an inventor who liked in like in, uh, investigating things and discovering things um, because he had this, the spare time and he had the spare time because he had, he had made some money and, and, you know, whatever. Some people had like little shops and they would have like, you know, not a whole lot of business because there's not a whole lot of interest in what they're selling, but they would spend their spare time in their little workshops. And you used to see this even like, I used to see this even as a kid, I would see like some little shops like this where people would set up their shops and they'd have their workshop electrical repair um, businesses that were all yeah. over the place and they would tinker with all kinds of stuff. But the reality is like these businesses don't exist anymore because like no store can exist like that anymore because taxes and rent and everything else have become too high. Um, taxes have, have, you know, taken so much money from the working class that we have to spend 40, 60, 80 hours a week working just to keep our bills paid. And it's like, wait a minute, we invented all this technology. We should have all this free time. Why isn't this free time coming back to us so that we can actually spend our time learning things and saying, Hey, I'm going to retire at 20. I did my five years of service at McDonald's. I'm going to retire and I'm going to set up, I'm going to go work at a medical lab for free because I'm interested in it. It's almost like a college apprenticeship or something. Like, why don't we have that? Um, and I think it's, it's, I mean, taxation is theft. That's why. Um, You're hundred percent right there. Right. But I mean, that's, that's the fundamental thing about it. And then, you know, the, the one other thing about it is, uh, you know, we can talk about intellectual property, med medical patents and stuff like that, but we have to talk about the enforcement part of it because there is no enforcement without force. And so, you know, if somebody is, uh, you know, making an EpiPen that's going to save children's lives, is somebody going to come and throw them in jail? I mean, is that really, right. you know, that's, is that what our laws are for? Well, so infringe on the patent. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. And, and I mean, there he is, you know, but I think like, okay. So, okay. Like th this is, this is kind of like where it teeters on the whole libertarian philosophy of you don't have a right to something that somebody else created, right? Because, you know, you could say, oh, you invented this life-saving drug. You have to give it to all of us. And then it's like, wait a minute. The libertarian philosophy says that would right. be stealing. But at the same time, you said something very important earlier because you, you made a differentiation between me breaking into your office and stealing the formula and stealing like, how do you make this? versus me saying, okay, he was able to figure it out. Let me find out everything I can. Let me research what he did and see if I can reproduce that. And along the way, I might figure out a different way to reproduce it. I might find a better way to reproduce it. Well, um, and, you know, as you're, you're about to be governor of Texas, let me tell you about one of the great intellectual property uh, cases that happened in Texas uh, with uh, down in Houston, there's a company called Compaq. Uh, and I don't think anybody knows who they are anymore, but back in the day, they made a lot of computers. Um, and 
what they did was IBM had created this sort of black box, uh, you know, that had the way the processor worked interfaced with the motherboard. And essentially they said, okay, you know, we're going to put in, send in these signals and this comes out on the other side and that's what makes the computer run. And so Compaq said, well, you know what? Reverse engineering is protected by law in the United States. And so they went in and they reverse engineered the way a processor works. And they were able to then start building their own computers. So IBM couldn't be the only one building computers anymore because they reversed it. So they were able to make a computer, an IBM clone. And of course, IBM was unhappy about it. But right. very quickly on, I don't think there's anybody who would argue that uh, cheap clone computers, as opposed to the expensive ones that IBM were making, benefited us all enormously. But if it had been up to IBM, there would only be IBM and Apple computers, and that would be it. Right. Yeah, and and that's interesting. And it's it's um. What's what's interesting too is like. Apple was able to like keep their monopoly on their hardware for a while, right? I mean, they they did an experiment with that in the '90s. The pineapple. Um, am I am I dating myself here? But like they they were like, we're gonna allow other people to make Mac hardware and put the operating system on it, and they didn't like it, so they said no. But the reality is, none of that had none of that had much to do with law, so much as it had to do with contract. Because right. they basically said, okay, look, like this is what people don't understand when, and, and, and I think this is part of the problem. Um, when you used to go and buy software in a box, you were not buying that intellectual property. You were buying the right to use that. And it, that was the software license agreement. But the reality is people are like, no, I'm buying the box and, and I own what's in it. And there was, there was no distinction there. So like, for example, if you had gone to a computer store and you said, hey, I, I want to buy the software. And they said, okay, here's the box. You have to sign this contract or we won't give you this box. And that contract said, I agree not to copy it. I agree not to, in the case of Mac's operating, Apple's operating system, I agree not to install it on any hardware other than Apple's. Um, like people would understand, but of course, um, they, they kind of screwed themselves over by making, you know, even though, you know, they pop up on the screen now and you have to press agree, they're so long that nobody even reads them. Yeah. They've kind of shot themselves in the foot that way too. But the fact that you do press agree does mean that they can then come around and use it against you. And so if I were a big company that were like, okay, I can manufacture a million computers and I'm going to install Apple's operating system on it. I could do that, but Apple's going to sue the crap out of me because I have now purchased or however I got their software, I agreed to those terms that I would not install it on my own hardware. Well, even and that's you didn't agree to those terms though, right? You could find a copy of it on a bench and you didn't agree to anything, but right. Well, and that's an, yeah. And that's an interesting, that's an interesting case too, for that. Um, well, I mean, I think, I mean, the, where the law mm -hmm. is. And so, you know, just to be clear, I am uh, an open source guy. So even though I am a software engineer, I'm not a, primarily a software engineer, but I earned my living for about 20 years as a software engineer. Uh, I don't believe in intellectual property on software. Uh, I mean, I think I believe in engineers obfuscating their code and, uh, you know, making it difficult. People don't understand obfuscate means to uh, make very hard to read. Uh, so I, I agree in encrypting your code and stuff like that. Uh, but 
you know, if somebody else wants to use your software or, you know, somebody else wants to make a copy of it, I, I don't think that you're entitled to any special protection over that. And it's one of the reasons why you see most companies moving away from software uh, as a business model and moving to software as a service. You might have seen that written somewhere, SAAS, stands for software as a service, because that's where the model is. In fact, you know, the people who pioneered that more than anything else, it's your grandfather's computer company, IBM. IBM are the guys who, you know, they had software out there, but they sold software not to sell software, but to sell what they called seats so that you would have an expert that you would hire from IBM who would come in and help you run their software. And so, you know, a lot of people, right. uh, you know, just to, to bring in the full geek cred here, a lot of people think, oh, you know, the biggest soft, the biggest database in the world is Oracle or MySQL or anything like that. But the most widely used database, I don't know if it's still true now, but it was two years ago, is DB2 run by IBM. And the thing is, is that, you know, most enterprise companies run this old ass database that's been in existence for forever because IBM keeps upgrading it and they keep selling seats. They're not making any money selling this old database product but they're like people are hiring IBM experts to come in and run their database on DB2. And, you know, it's a, uh, it's a fascinating thing. There's a lot more money in service than there ever will be in the product itself. And the open source software movement is built on that. Right. Well, and yeah, and that's, that's interesting because at the end of the day, I mean, it's a profit model, right? What's, what's more efficient. You sell thing one, something once, or you sell it over and over again. And, you know, this is, this is the rental market which, you know, and this is one of the platforms I run on uh, for governor is, is uh, rent free Texas, which is, you know, we need to, we need to get out of this rent mentality because we're, we're falling victim to that system. We're paying every, every month we're paying over and over and over again when we could just pay once and own a place to live in. And then all the money that we earn, we get to save. Um, like it's, it's a, it's a shift, but like at the same time, everyone's been shifting to um, you know, the monthly thing. And like, you see this in like businesses, right? There's online grocery things where like, oh, you, you put in the groceries and they automatically bill you every month and they send you a box of food or they send you pre-made meals and like all this other stuff. And the reason for that is they know you could go to the website and punch it in and, and make one order, but they know they can, they can just be like, no, we know exactly how much we're getting each month because we know how many people are paying. You used to go and rent your movies one at a time from Blockbuster. You didn't pay a membership fee. You paid per movie. Now Netflix is just pay per month. You can have whatever you want. Yeah. And because of that, like people, people are watching more movies to take advantage of the money that they're spending, but they're also spending more because you don't have to make a decision. Do I really want to spend a movie, uh, spend the money and watch this movie? It's no, it's already paid for. And so well, they're making more per month per customer than Blockbuster ever was. And, you know, there was a point in time in which uh, Netflix was throttling people who were, getting too many DVDs mailed to them at once. And <laughs> I'm not saying I did this, but certainly I heard stories of people who they would get as many DVDs as they could from Netflix and they would rip them to digital copy and then mail it right back. So they didn't even watch them and Netflix was doing the math. Like you didn't even have time to watch all the movies that you'd sent us. And so we're going to slow down your mail delivery, but that business is all gone. And it's not because it wasn't out there or anything. It's because it's much better. And Netflix says, yeah, to stream as many movies as you want. Uh, we don't care. Uh, and it's a much better service for everybody. I don't know anybody who's still getting DVDs. I'll, maybe, la actually, I think I recall last year, Netflix stopped their DVD delivery service entirely. 
Uh, it sounds right. I don't know anybody who's. Uh, I want to say my dad was still getting them for a while. Actually, yeah, I think maybe no. That's that's been a couple of years since I've seen that. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if there's no money there, if nobody's doing that anymore, what's the point? Um, okay, so send DVDs in the mail, <laughs> right? Um, and so I wanted to mention this before because I mean, we, we've been talking about we've been talking about it, but like copyright comes from copy right it's the yep. right to copy it and like you know it's the same thing like you know with all these contracts and agreements the idea is you get something and um you know if i if, if let's say um i'll do photographers because that's that's kind of an easy one where it's not like you know it's not a hollywood blockbuster movie but i take a picture of your wedding and um i take that picture i own that picture um yeah. you may have hired me to to shoot the wedding and we might have a contract that says, okay, because you're paying me to be here, you own these pictures. Um, although a lot of photographers are typically like, no, I own, I still own the pictures, but I'll sell them to you individually, which is like, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's kind of like, nah, whatever, but it's, it's wedding pictures. Right. Um, instead of pre-negotiating maybe the price of those pictures. Um, but anyway, the point is whoever is the owner of the picture is the one who has the right to copy it. But of course they're also from the beginning, they are the only holder of those ones and zeros. Let's say it's all digital. They're yep. the holder of those ones and zeros. It's property because it's something that exists. It's not tangible. It's just ones and zeros. Um, although it might be on a tangible medium, but it's, it's not tangible. And if the photographer is the only person who has a copy, what is to compel him to give that copy to somebody else? Or what is, what is the right to give it to, to somebody else? So, now, to say somebody does not have the right to copy those photos at that point when he has it in his, let's say it's it's in his office at his at his you know studio, um, nobody has the right to copy that because they don't have the right to break into his studio, find that file, make a copy of it, and take it home and print it up and to have it on their wall, right? Nobody has that yeah. right, and so the idea is you know, we have this thing that like, okay, I'm going to give you one of the pictures from your wedding. Aha. Now that I have this picture, I can do whatever I want with it. And I think that's because there's the, the, the implied um, transfer of rights or property is it's, it's all like, let's just leave it to the law, whatever's legal. And so the photographers will say, here's the pictures, you know, just tell me which ones you like and buy it from me. And somebody's like, well, now that I have them, I can do this and this. There's, they never sit down and say, okay, look, here's how it works. I'm going to give you the pictures, right? I'm going to let you see the pictures. But because you hired me just to take the pictures, but not to own the pictures, you still don't own them. You can't do anything with these pictures until you actually pay me and I transfer you the copyright. There, there is no honest discussion with that. And if people started having those discussions, probably what would happen... I believe is people who hire photographers would, would say in advance, okay, no, I'll pay you a little bit more, but I own all the photos and that's the end of the story. You know, it's interesting because you would think that in a free market, free market, there would be photographers advertising, Hey, I will let you own all the photographs for this price. And you know what? I'm seeing the comments. Anybody who's gotten married recently, let us know whether or not that is an issue. Uh, are there photographers out there? advertising something like that now because that would certainly be interesting to know you know there's another case of crazy uh copyright violation and i know you know this one you know what i can't play it though i was going to play a video but then i recognized that would get us into copyright problems and of course we wouldn't be able to uh show the I video do it 
All right. Well, then I'll do it. <laughs> Hang on a second. Uh, Have you seen the old intro to my show, which I really should bring back? No. But. All right. I think you got to put it into the room. Infringement. Oh, yeah. Do you know why this song is important for copyright talk? talk? No. I'll give it a second before anybody in the comments knows. Well, you know, it's too far behind us. So, John Fogarty, uh, mm -hmm. who was, of course, in the uh, in uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival, uh, and then went on to have a solo career, was sued for this song for violating for plagiarizing himself. Because there's another song. Because somebody else owned, he sold the rights to another song to somebody else? Yeah, and then they said that this song oh. sounded too much like the original. That this song, The Old Man Down the River, sounds too much like Run Through the Jungle, which you probably know. Gonna run through the jungle by uh, Credence. I, I sing on all my podcasts. Um, um, yeah, I'm not a huge Credence fan, honestly. But um, the... Uh, you'll chastise me for that later. No, no shit, dude. Not a fan. Uh, I'll, yeah, all right. We'll come back to that. Um, but there is a... Uh, yeah, see, now I can't have a conversation with you about intellectual property. I'm talking about moron property. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, he was sued because somebody else owned the rights to his records. And then they said that this record that he wrote sounded too much like a different record that he wrote 15 years beforehand. It's pretty crazy. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I hear a lot about, you know, copyright trolls and there's, you know, the thing about the happy oh, yeah. birthday song, you can't sing like you go to, I used to work at a TGI Fridays and we had the happy birthday song, but it wasn't the happy birthday song because that one is trademarked. And it's like, are they really going to like come around? And like, I, I guess the royalty for it is only like a penny um, from what I hear, but people are just like, yeah, it's too much paperwork just to keep track of that. Let's use a different song. Like you're going to like, instead of paying them 50 cents at the end of the month, um, like, no, it's it's really interesting um and, and and you know this kind of gets into like i think the area where a lot of people are like that's just absolutely ridiculous and that shouldn't be a thing um which which is true for a lot of stuff and like you hear about you know the fbi swat teams coming in and busting you know college kids in their dorm because they were downloading metallica on napster and it's like okay there's there's a lot of problems with that like Yes, they didn't have the copyright to copy the song. Um, but uh, one, the taxpayers should not be subsidizing the government yeah. to, to go and do Pretty this. Straightforward. Um, yeah, it's it should be up to the business to like protect their own property. I mean, think about it, right? Like, okay, let's say this is intellectual property, and let's say let's use Metallica, because I, I don't know much about credence. Metallica is yep. like that's their intellectual property and they haven't sold it to me they've sold me the right to play it over and over yeah um well that's actually so, not true true either they sold you to play it uh the expected lifetime of a cd if you bought a cd sony <laughs> had a case where they sued somebody and said you didn't have right to play your cds more than seven years because that was the expected lifetime of a cd oh wow this see yeah. that's fuck, that's an asshole move it and is. sony you're a bunch of assholes anyway because uh something that happened with a playstation but that's another story um so so um okay so so let's say right um uh oh okay so let's say that is their property in my possession that i'm listening to right yep 
um, that's still their property and it's up to them to secure their own property, right? A bank will usually hire private security, right? They don't have state troopers standing around their bank. They don't have state troopers following all their, their um, armored trucks to deliver the money to all these different places. They have their own security to pay for that security. Retail stores, clothing stores, right? Yep. Physical property, right? What do they do? They set up they set up the beeper thing with the tag in it. So if you go past, it sets off an alarm. They have, you know, undercover security walking through the store, making sure nobody's stealing stuff and stuffing it in their pockets. Um, they pay for security to prevent as much theft as possible. They also calculate in the fact that security is not perfect. Some stuff's still going to get stolen. Just build it into their profit to make a little bit more. No big deal. But now with, with the movie industry and the music industry, They've come up with a system where like, okay, we're going to, we're going to send our property so far around the world that we have absolutely no way to monitor it. We have absolutely no, no way to control, but we still want to be able to make sure that every time that CD changes hands, it's done in a legitimate way. And if it's not, there's going to be some police force somewhere that's going to like rain down hell upon them. And we don't even have to pay for that because it's going to be taxpayer subsidized. Well, you know, there's a couple of crazy things about that. Remind me, I want to come back to ASCAP after this, but uh, you know, they could make a movie that only played inside of certain software and, you know, have a digital key that allowed it to only be played once and all that stuff. And, you know, some people might remember that there were attempts at doing that, but they actually decided, no, we want ease of use. We want there to be one machine, although, right, the, uh, the movie companies weren't charging uh, the DVD players or the VCR players. Uh, for being able to use their property, right? Or making a proprietary system. They wanted to take advantage of all the other stuff that was out there that was free, not to mention music, right? MP3 is actually a copyrighted format. And uh, when people were converting music into MP3s, nobody was playing any royalty on that. But actually the MP3 guys were pretty smart. They said, we're only going to put it on the hardware. So only if you bought an MP3 player, uh, like a phone or something like that. Did you actually have to pay to license the MP3 technology? That's why MP3 players were hard, so hard to find and so late to come out. Yep, yep. Yeah, but you could do it on a computer and they didn't charge for that. But for the players itself, I know because Palm did that. All right, so let me get into ASCAP and then I'm going to go back to Palm. Sorry, I'm all over the place. But so ASCAP, the Association of Composers and Producers, uh, they actually do have what you have, a private copyright police force. And anytime that you are in a bar or restaurant in the United States and there is music playing, that bar or restaurant is supposed to submit a list to ASCAP of the music that they played that day. And then ASCAP uh, goes through the copyright holders and they get paid a percentage of, you know, whatever that is. And then the restaurants pay, you know, $2,000 or something like that for an ASCAP license for each month. And that lets them play whatever music they want. All they have to do is send their playlist to ASCAP and then ASCAP covers that. Now, I had a friend who was an ASCAP policeman uh, and he went around in Boston finding uh, restaurants and bars and stuff that were violating it. And he said, almost everybody's violating it because even the people who have licenses, they don't send in what the music was that they played that day. Just at the end of the month, they make up a random list and say, oh, this is what we played. And so, you know, it's completely crazy. Then the last thing, you know, since we're talking about it, I have to share my patent, right? Talk about how right. ridiculous patents are. 
So people can look this up, system and method of transferring web-based information. Uh, you'll see over here, inventor, Daniel Fishman, that's me. Uh, <laughs> this is uh, transferring a uh, contact or a calendar event from the internet to a mobile device. Ooh, that sounds right? like Caldav. <laughs> I mean, it's it's this huge, huge global overreach. We actually applied for it in 2001. Uh, it was fought in court all the way up until uh, 2010. Apple, Microsoft, uh, IBM all fought against this patent being issued. And what's funny about it is that we got it uh, for Palm. Uh, the engineers were able to insist on some of these things and say, we only want these to be used as defensive patents because we didn't want to be sued by somebody else saying, oh, right. what you're doing is copyrighted by our patent. So, so Palm, that Palm was, you know, mostly an engineer really engineer run company. And so they agreed, okay, these are not offensive patents, they're defensive patents. But when, uh, yeah, that was, that was something that someone brought up in that, in that thread, which was, you know, they, they wanted to get a patent, not because someone else already had it, but because they wanted to make sure that they didn't get, that somebody wouldn't come along and say, Hey, that's a great idea. They didn't patent it. I'm going to patent it. Um, and then go back and sue the original person if the original person ever gets popular with theirs. And it's like, yeah, that's, oh shit, I just killed my camera. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a legitimate um, concern, but unfortunately that concern is created by an abusive um, IP protection. Absolutely. Industry. Because one of the craziest things ever, right, was that uh, the college football playoff system, somebody took out a patent long before it ever existed on the idea of having a playoff system to determine the college football championship. And then when college football tried, I write it insane. That's, and then when it, college it, football it, tried to establish their playoff system, for those of you who aren't old enough to remember, it used to be that there was no playoff system. The sports writers just announced who was the number one team in the country at the end of the year. Uh, but now they have this uh, eight game play, 18 playoff system, et cetera. But this guy got a patent on it, and then he sued the NCAA. Fortunately, eventually he lost. But uh, it's insane. Right. So, okay, one more thing I want to go back to. We, 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 uh, we mentioned it in the beginning, but a trademark. Yep. Um, and, and so, because I, I, hate, I hate being arbitrary, right? Like I, I hate being, you know, like, okay, this, this type of IP protection is okay. This, this part isn't. And so I like to like, and like, yes, there might be some like arbitrary, like background to it. Like, okay, this is, this is my side. Let me see if I can justify it with my libertarian principles. Yeah. That might be there. And that might be a bias. And I'm always welcome to um, examine um, contrary arguments, but so, so, so this is the thing with trademark that I would say, right? I would say this, Coca-Cola is a trademark. Now, yeah. people have this expectation that when they go to a grocery store and they buy a bottle of Coca-Cola, they know exactly what's in it. And if I were to say, I'm going to produce Coca-Cola and I'm going to use their logo and I'm going to put something in a bottle, then I would arguably be saying, and it might be very close to what they have, but it's not exactly the same. The money's not going to the same people. What I am doing is I'm sitting on someone's shelf with my product saying, hey, buy this. And you are buying a Coca-Cola product when in fact they are not. 
And so in that way, I'm actually acting in fraud. I'm actually doing uh, false advertising. I'm lying to people and saying this is a Coca-Cola product when it's not. And even though it might be very, very, very close, even if it's identical, the money's just going to the wrong place because maybe Coca-Cola advertises on TV, buy from us because we're going we're gonna to donate all your money to charity. And then they buy from me false advertising because right. I'm not taking that money to charity. So I think, you know, in this case, it's, it's not about, it's not so much about, I own the logo. I own this. It's, it's more it's about, about fraud. fraud. Yeah. And I agree with you. And, and the argument that some people make is that fraud is already illegal. And, you know, you can find a number of brands that are uh, ripoffs of major brands and they just, you know, change one letter in the name or something like that. Like we mentioned uh, the pineapple computer a while ago. Uh, pineapple was essentially a ripoff of Apple II. Um, cheaper, but it ran Apple software and all that stuff. Um, and I, there's, there's other ones that are out there. I can't think of any off the top of my head, but like the name is so close that, uh, you know, at one point in right. time, I owned uh, Microsoft MO, Microsoft with a D at the end instead of a T. So Microsoft.com. Because I was thinking, you know, when people start using voice navigation, I'm going to get a lot of traffic. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember when when uh, uh, I, I was like like in the 90s when they were first inventing the Internet. I think uh, uh, what's his name was there. Um, it, there were I was in like a seminar on HTML and like all this stuff. And like I, I was still a kid. So I was some of this stuff was kind of over my head. I just remember they were like. They're like, yeah, and now that you can buy domains, whitehouse.com is actually a porn site. Exactly. And like, and it's like, and not anymore, but like, it's it's just kind of funny that For like- a long that someone, time though. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and unfortunately that was before like the Clinton. No, that was, that was during the Clinton administration, I believe. Yeah, it was definitely during Clinton because I remember that. I, I, it, went, it went well into the 2000s. But because I remember we had the same probably like all Monica Lewinsky jokes or something. I, I was I was in school like. at the same time and we used to joke about how, oh, man, every Internet name is taken. And we we're this is like 1997. We were complaining about that. It, yeah. <laughs> and uh, now you type in random letters dot com and it's gone. <laughs> well, we said, you know, what's not taken is uh, monkey dot com. And I used to always check that. And honestly, it wasn't until like 2004 before monkey porn came online. But now, of course, it's there. Um, I hold on. Yeah, no, it's all right. Yep. <laughs> well, it's it's yeah, it's yeah, it's, 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 it's an owned it's level right. domain. At one point in time, I was like, someone's got to have like a cool splash page yeah. or something. You'd think they would. Well, you could probably buy it now. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's probably like premium five thousand or something. Well, especially um, now that it's had this, you know, celebrity talk about it on uh, yeah the taxation is theft live cast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every everybody everybody's in a bidding war now. Yep. Um awesome. Well, okay. So, so okay, I want to I want to talk about one more we, thing that we disagree though. Like you uh, think that intellectual property uh well, I don't know. Do we disagree on software okay. intellectual property? No, it sounds like we're we're in we're we're in agreement for the most part. Um one thing that I, I did bring up, how how tired are you on time? Uh I got 25 more minutes. All right. Um, so one of the things, one of the things that I actually started thinking about was like, what actually is intellectual property? Because 
so some people were saying like intellectual property doesn't exist. And it's like, I, I see so many different ways that it does, right? I have a private key for my Bitcoin wallet, right? right. It's it's something because they made the argument property is something that you can you you can defend with a gun and if you can't defend it it's not your property. Well, arguably there's a big enough army that can take everything away from everyone, so nobody has any property um, right. under that logic. But I, I, I have my private say that property is something that if I take it from you, you don't have it anymore. Right and okay, so yeah, so if that's the case, it, the intellectual property doesn't well. Yeah, it doesn't really fit that, right? Because right. if you steal my private key from me, then you know you have it. But at the same time, it's like, but you have it. You have it. You control it. And right. I control it. We both control it now because it's just ones and zeros. It can be copied. And so I, I think you know it it is it, it's not property, and that's why we call it intellectual property and not just property. Right. But I still see that there, you know, it's not, it, it is very different from regular property. It's not tangible, but I do see in a lot of ways, like you can control it. You can say, you know, I have, I have information and like, I can, I can put this information right. through a Xerox machine to make a million copies of it, but I haven't. And if you want it, you're going to have to pay me for it and I'll give it to you. So right. I still think there's like a, it's not tangible, but it's, it's intellectually tangible. Right. And I think I think the thing that we agree upon is that if you are creative and you have created a song or a book or a movie, something like that, as the artist, you deserve the right to demand payment for your creation. Uh, but there's an interesting question in terms of how much replication is illegal. So. Uh, you know, famously, uh, you cannot rebroadcast the NFL without express written permission. Right. Uh, but you can tell a friend about what happened in the game and you can write an article in the newspaper about what happened in the game. You can report on it, but you can't do a play by play, uh, and sell that because that's considered too close of a record of a mm -hmm. reproduction of the game. And so, uh, although, you know, there are lots of people who do that now who will go back to old games and play them and do their own commentary on them. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> but that sort of thing, you know, you want to support an artist to be able to make a living creating their art. First to market is pretty good. I, I would make the argument that, uh, you know, Classical musicians know, uh, you know, shout out to uh, Randy Ward if he's out there watching, a uh, friend of the, your, your show and mine, and a classical cellist. Um, but he's, he's, a, he's a classical cellist. Classical musicians don't make a lot of money off of new music, recordings, or anything like that. Most of their money is made off of performance. And, you know, that's true for... Yeah, I would say probably 99% of the working musicians, right? They make money off of performing in bars and in venues and stuff like that, even though they're probably performing other people's music and stuff like that. Very few people make money off of the, uh, you know, the intellectual property side of music. Now that's where most of the money is, but it, the what, record labels are, are getting most of that. 
Well, they, they used to. Now, historically, now, anyways. Yeah. Now, I mean, now the streaming companies are taking a big chunk out of that. And uh, people, you know, you wouldn't even go to a record company now if you were a big hit. You'd just rather be big on YouTube. Right. Well, but, I, but, and I think there's like, yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll let you finish that. I was just going to say, I mean, that that's actually a great example of how the model is changing is that, you know, if you're a big musician, I think, uh, you know, most people know who Ali Sherlock is now. Uh, she's a big hit on YouTube and a great street musician. She gets paid money to play in bars. You don't know who that is? No. No. Okay. I, I watch way too much YouTube. Uh, but <laughs> she's an amazing musician. Uh, and she was making a lot of money on the street. And then somebody said, we should record this with the professional equipment and put it up on YouTube. And then, you know, she's getting millions of hits, people watching her stuff on YouTube. And she makes money out of that. That's, you know, I, I don't even, <clears throat> I don't even know where the intellectual property in that is because right. It's, it's on YouTube. So anybody can watch it. Uh, Google makes Google money by ad, with the ads. Right, they're, exactly. They're profiting the ads. exactly. But you know, they're saying, you know, watch it as much as you want. You pay whatever you pay. And right. then some of that goes back to the artist. It, it's a better model. Books are a little more complicated. You know, there was a case in, uh, in Russia of somebody reprinting uh, Harry Potter, which is why I use that example, uh, but claiming it was their own story and uh, selling it in Russian, the Russian language. And, you know, they sold however many copies of it they did. I, I think that's wrong and punishable. That's an interesting question. I guess you can get damages. Right. I don't know that I would throw somebody in jail for something like that. Well, and that's, yeah. And that's the interesting thing, right? Like, you know, yeah, you you could argue for damages, um, but but here's the thing, right? Like like you said with property, if you take property, somebody doesn't have it. I'm actually damaged by it, by right? right. But if I let's say I copy it to let's say I, I take a Metallica CD and I copy it and I give it to somebody who's never even going to listen to it, have I actually caused any damage? Have I prevented them a sale? No. Um, if it, maybe they do play it, maybe they're like, hey, I like this band. I'm going to go see one of their I concerts know. and they actually spend money on it. I might have actually given them money but they're not they're going to sue me just for having copied that as if it's a crime you know regardless of the damage so um so so yeah i think you're right there um what what i think of a little bit differently is like in terms of like okay the word free right what does the word free mean and like when when we think of something as free so we think of like it's zero free as in air right? or free as in beer yeah, That's free as in beer, like open source statement. Zero, zero cost of acquisition, right? Right. And um, and it's like, okay, so so why does it mean that? And if you look into the history of that, really what it came down to is like is like you liberate something. So let's say, for example, um, you have a couch and it's falling apart, and you're like, This couch is disgusting. I'm going to liberate it from my home and stick it on the curb with a sign that says, This couch has been freed, or free couch which means anybody can come and take it for zero dollars and this is where the idea of free came from this is why we say things are free when really you know free comes from freedom and so what's interesting is like if if i'm if i'm standing on the corner playing my guitar and i have like a hat on the on the ground for people to put tips and donations because they like my music i am making free music i am broadcasting that into the environment, I'm setting that music free. 
with absolutely no obligation or contract to anybody there to put anything in the hat. Now, if they would, it would be nice. It'd be wonderful. And I, I encourage people to do that. Um, but there's no obligation to do that. And right. in the same way, you know, if you're, um, and I have a problem with some of the TV stations, right? So there was a, there was a company that was like, they were trying to capture all the free to air signals, right? So ABC takes their signal with their ads in it and they make it free. They, they send it up into the sky. It is bombarding you in your living room right now in these little invisible waves. They might be giving you cancer, but you can't even see them. And it's there because of ABC7. It is illegal for you to, to capture those waves and do something with them. You can put them into your TV so you can watch what they produce. But what this one company did was like, well, I don't have a TV with an antenna. I want to be able to watch it on the internet. They tried to capture it and Aero. put it through the internet. You're talking about Arrow. Yeah. Oh, and I it was like, those guys. And, they, and they got sued over it. And they were like, yeah, no, you can't do it because it's copyright and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but this is like, we're just observing what you put into the public, right? Yeah. There's, there's this like, there's this axiom of like anything that's in public, you can record. And it's like, they put it in public. They put, it's already in everybody's home. The people who are on the internet watching those channels probably have those waves in their home right exactly. now. They just can't watch it because it's, they don't have the right equipment for it. And it's like, and if it was proprietary equipment, that would be one thing. But it's like, no, the equipment's just there and the waves are just there. And satellite, and this is interesting too, because apparently like the BBC, the reason that they have TV licenses is because they need to raise the money to pay for the BBC yep. by selling TV licenses. Because BBC well, what's interesting is, Okay. But what they're doing is they're, they're basically, they, they have police running around, kind of like, you know, what Metallica has. I'm, yep. I'm going to blame Metallica for Television this. police, absolutely. Um, they, and they go around, oh, you have a TV, you don't have a license, we're going to give you a fine. Doesn't matter if you are watching BBC or not. Yep. But this is, this is all the government knows how to do is use force. Meanwhile, you have the satellite companies who are doing the same thing. They're sending their signal to every single house all around the world. But you need to have a little chip with a secret number on it. And if you don't pay them, you don't get the secret number. Yep. Amazing. So they've yep. actually solved that problem. Where like if if imagine if the BBC did that now of course they'd probably lose some customers because people would be like oh, I'm not going to pay for BBC I don't I can live without that channel right so they'd, right. they'd lose some customers but like but this is a non forceful way like to to control that um, while still recognizing that like you are you have already freed this intellectual property it is already in the public domain by virtue of you have sent it to everybody. Yeah. So, so I would argue that like when you have, um, when you have these types of, um, you know, trying to control something that you've sent out, you could do it with a contract, like the software agreement, right? Everybody has a copy of the software, but everybody has a contract with you. Anybody who, who, and yes, you said, you know, you could leave it on a bench and somebody could pick it up and, and yeah, that's a realistic scenario, but that's such like a small piece of the pie compared to everything else that I think like, if we understand once it's out there, it's free and you don't have control over it unless you have a contract with the people that you gave, you've given it to, or you have right. some way to control it through like virtual, you know, encryption and, and that sort of thing. Yeah. I, the, so to go back, there's this, uh, in software, there's this argument gratis versus libre, which is, you know, the difference between free as an air something that you have a right to because it's free for everybody. Uh, you should be free to breathe the air. 
or, or free as in cost, something you have to spend money for that you have to purchase, but you, it's given to you free. So free beer is, you know, something that somebody given to you. There's no monetary cost to it, but free freedom is something else. And it's unfortunate that we use those two words. Are you looking up gratis versus libre? I'm, I'm actually looking up the etymology of gratis because I know like in, I mean, that's in Spanish, right? Gratis is like, well, it's, it's like, Latin. You, know, you don't have to pay for it. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Um, this, this is the, the, the famous article and we've talked about it for, for years in the open source community. Um, for thanks. Okay. Cause, cause I hear it. And like, I've always thought this about this word and I just wanted to like, look it up and confirm if there was any relation for thanks. Like, like, um, what is it? um uh like gratitude right yeah gratis that's where so so it's that same kind of word it's for gratitude like here i'm like you know just just for being grateful for you here's here's this or like thank you i'm grateful that you gave this to me and like i'm giving it in return i'm giving you my gratitude i'm not giving you any money right um, that sort of thing and for open source software it's a big deal because uh you know richard stallman who is uh a controversial figure, but, uh, but I mean, I, I know the guy, um, and, uh, he certainly has the best at heart. He's just not strong social skills and hasn't been able to work on his image ever. But, uh, you know, he talked about the idea that the open source software movement, their idea is that they want the software to be free as in air. They want anybody to be able to get any software and just use it and assume that it's there. It's not that they're this is their software and they're giving it to you for free. They want you to freely have access to anybody to have freely have access to it. And so, uh, you know, for anybody who has any experience with Linux, um, you've used the command LS, for example, to list out all the stuff. And Richard Stallman wrote the LS command uh, and he just gave it away to anybody who wanted to use it. So almost all the utilities, VI, uh, he wrote, uh, most of the basic Linux utilities. And then Linus Torvalds came in and wrote the kernel. Uh, but most of what makes your Linux system work is free as an air software made by the FSF, the Free Software Foundation. So there's, there's different things about that, but people who are in the open source movement have always believed that we can make enough money off of services that we don't need to have intellectual property around software. Right. Um, oh, I had a thought about that for a second. Right. See, this is the problem with dosing at the beginning of the show. I, I'm doing the same thing right now. As the no, I do this totally sober. <laughs> um, totally sober. I forget things, but um, um, yeah, well, I guess that's our show. Um, I guess so. <laughs> it's been awesome having you on um always yeah no this is yeah um oh shit i kicked i have like i gotta fix this i have like my my cables under my you um, kicked your desk camera, but that's, kick that's the opportunity for me to again to tell everybody to go to people for liberty with with a number four people for liberty.org slash nldos national libertarian day of service it's may 1st but you know we're not sticklers because we're libertarians if you want to do it on may 2nd or april 30th that's totally fine uh but sign up peopleforliberty.org slash NLDOS. Send us your pictures. We got uh, media coverage coming for this next week. So after the National Libertarian Day of Service, it's going to be some media coverage. We'd love to have your pictures of you doing something awesome in uh, libertarian gear. 
And, you know, if people wanted to get some libertarian gear, Dan, where's a good place to go to get it? Um, I don't know which one you're asking me. Do, do you have um, a store where somebody could buy yes, that okay. theft hat? Taxation is theft.info. Yes, there's some amazing taxation is theft gear over there. I wasn't sure which. I'm like, which one are you trying to play? I'm, I'm selling quiz. your stuff, brother. Pop quiz. Um, yeah, taxation is theft.info. Um, of course, that's where you can get these really awesome hats. Um, t-shirts. We have a really awesome t-shirt that I think we need to get more people wearing. And it it's it looks just like our logo up up there in the corner behind uh in front of Dan's head. Um but it says taxes pay killer cops. Um, get that. There you go. Get that shirt out there. Get get wearing that. Get some photos of that. Get that spread around because that um, that's a really important issue. I think that that would help bring some of the left over to the libertarian ideology because ultimately we know this. The politicians on the left don't really give a fuck about anybody. Um, nope. No, except for themselves. The the politicians care about three things. Go ahead. Oh, we're, I said we're actually trying to do something about it. We are. That's why people should support you. They should support taxationistheft.info. They should support peopleforliberty.org. I am looking forward to seeing you again soon. What's the next convention? What, what, what are those three things? You said oh. you said three things. Yeah, politicians know, only care about three ADB. Politicians yeah, yeah. only care about three things. Getting elected, getting reelected, and getting elected to higher office. They could give two yeah. shits about the people that they represent. Mm -hmm. All they want to do is get elected and get reelected. And you see that in the way that politicians change their side so often. You look at, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, 2016 uh, and the, uh, sorry, uh, 2012, the Democrats get rid of the filibuster for judges because the Republicans are using the filibuster to block judges uh, from being appointed. And the Democrats are like, well, we're just going to get rid of the filibuster for judges. And the Republicans are like, the filibuster is so important to our system of government. We would never do anything to destroy it. You have to preserve the filibuster. Democrats said, tough. So then, of course, 2016, and they can't get Kavanaugh nominated, uh, or not Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, I guess. And uh, the Democrats are filibustering against it. And the Democrats say, remember when you said, oh, this is such a big deal and uh, we shouldn't do it? And Republicans are like, yeah, fuck you guys. We're going to pass it anyway. Uh, and so they remove the filibuster for Supreme Court justice. And, and just, you know, no political position at all. Mm -hmm. A complete reversal, complete rollover. Joe Biden isn't a terrible example of that, right? Joe Biden is the guy who, uh, you know, at one point in time talked about, uh, you know, these crazy crime bills that, uh, you know, had all these harsh punishments and stuff like that. And now he's seen to say, oh, we got way too many. We got to have criminal justice reform because that's where the mood of the country is. He doesn't care at all, right? 2008, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton both campaigned on marriages between a man and a woman, right? And then suddenly as the country moves, they change their positions. It's insane. The politicians don't care about right. us at all. That's why and, you should elect I, the I think this is... Yeah, well, I, and I think this is interesting, too, because like I, I recognize, you know, my own bias when I have conversations and like I really make it a point to stop. And like when somebody and, you know, even libertarians will push push back sometimes and say, like, why are you even talking to this guy? I've had communists and socialists on my show. Yeah. And the, the reality is like like I, like if somebody has something like and I'm not talking about flat earth, but if somebody has like a ridiculous 
proposition that that is totally in, in contradiction with your own beliefs yeah listen to them talk let them explain it because you might find out that like okay yeah maybe your your conclusion is completely crazy but um maybe there's something to it maybe there's some there's some there's some real premise underneath it and it might actually change your position because of the understanding of how you understand rights or oppression or something like that i i, I that's happened to me a few times i know i've seen that happen to you once um with you right you changed <laughs> my opinion on uh the statement yeah. of uh, free healthcare, right? And it's right? like I said, it's, people it's don't like, have a right to healthcare, and you said, no, no, they have a right to choose the healthcare that they want. Exactly, and like so, it's it's all, and a lot of it's wordplay, right? Like because everybody understands words to mean different things. That's not real socialism. What they're saying is their definition of socialism is different than some other right. system, and it's like, okay, yeah, but there is no definition of there is no like unified conclusive definition of socialism if you no, go that way because there's that, so many but that that's the bullshit there is a unified definition of socialism it is the government controlling the means of production that is i mean you look it up on google right now what is socialism right right, right. you it will say but i think I, I think what i mean by that is like you might be able to find one like that but like if you okay go go follow anybody who who worships bernie sanders and asks them what is the definition they won't tell you that they, well, because it, right they're it, soft and so like so what is a definition right a definition is ultimately just you know and we could say it's, it's intellectual except, property except, well except but i mean in many ways it's kind of like libertarianism right because we will occasionally soft pedal what libertarianism is because exactly. we don't think everybody's ready to hear yeah heroin should be legal because or anarchy what is it well and you also you you have libertarians who say who say it should not be legal because libertarian is about freedom it's not about giving people dangerous drugs so there are people who believe and so like in our universe in the in the real physical world universe a definition might mean one thing but in another individual's head the definition and just maybe it's just in their head right but that, but that definition is something completely different that's one of the things about socialism that does alarm me is that I do believe that there are people who want the real socialism, government controlling the means of production. Mm -hmm. And their argument for it is, is, I mean, it's sensible. I understand. It. I always like you, I, I much rather have a conversation with a Marxist than with a Democrat because a Democrat has no idea what the hell they stand for. Marxist at least knows what they're talking about. And right. you know what? Th their, their argument is you could look at the future and say, you know what, as machines, stand up and take the burden of work from our shoulders. What does that mean for us as a society where we expect people to define their value through work? What if your labor is right. no longer as good as a machine's, right? It used to be what one man and a tractor and a computer can do the work of a thousand farmers from a hundred years ago. So right. what, what well, and I mean? think do we, do we get to a point where physical labor is no longer required on this planet? And what yes. does that mean for the 5 billion people who are currently doing physical labor? And this is a perfect, I, I know we like pulled up the, the, the issue of controversy right after the show ended. Right. Um, but like, but this oh is, my this God, is we're not even on things. the air anymore. Oh no, we're still on the air. Yeah, no, 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 we are. We are. Um, okay. So like, so this is one of those things that, like I say, like, you know, keep an open mind. Cause I have a bias to say like, 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 no, you don't have a right to like, um, uh, you know, to take over the work and like, you know, force it through government systems and all this other stuff. You don't have, like, that's my libertarian side. But at the same time, I'm talking to, um, I, I think I was talking to a Marxist who basically said, you know, yeah, we shouldn't get to that point. And like, I I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, I'm agreeing with him, 
to some degree, but to say like, like, yes, we are going to get to a point where our physical labor is worth absolutely nothing because supply and demand, right? Like right. when, when that labor is worth so better than that, but yeah. that, but, but the flaw in that argument is that we have to work to stay alive. And this is something even in the libertarian world, like everyone thinks hard work is going to make your life great because you're earning money. But the reality is like, no, imagine, imagine we get to a point where, where everything is so plentiful food and technology and everything else, because it's made by machines that you get your home, you own your land and that's it. And you don't need to do a work to get food because it's just like, it's but, just there. But like, let me it's not like we're just going to disappear. If the government doesn't own the means of production, why would the farmer who, uh, you know, only gets paid by his wealthy clients, why would he give you any food for free? Well, that's okay. Think about this, right? Because I've, I've worked this situation out in my head, right? All right. So let's say there's a hundred million people and yep. there's one farmer and he, he raises like hundreds of hundreds of millions of pounds of food. <laughs> Yeah, but he doesn't want to sell it to anyone because they don't have any money because they don't have any jobs, right? Well, let's let's so, not even say that. Let's let's just say that, you know, his costs are five dollars for each person's food because you okay. can only eat as much as you. Yeah, can but eat. nobody has but nobody has any money because they don't have any jobs. Right. Some but, some people don't have money. Some people do have money. Right, right. And some people are like, oh, that's nothing. But to all the people who don't have money, they can just say, hey, we're going to start farming again. And now, he, now the guy with all the food who's able to produce it with zero labor because he's having machines do it, he's able to completely overproduce. He's going to be sitting on a huge stockpile that he can't get rid of. You are actually making a communist argument because you are saying they'll start uh -oh. farming again, which means the people own the means of production, the farms. What communists right. are worried about is that there's a point in time at which all the farms are privately owned. Well, no, I'm not saying they shouldn't do that. I'm saying that this is the market force that forces the guy with all the food to have to sell it because he's got a stockpile. What's he going to do with it? He's just not going to. He's just not going to work. He's going to have to. He's going to have to lower the prices to almost nothing, or people are going to start building their own farms, which is anti. They can't build their farms because they don't have any means of production. They don't own any farmland. That's the capitalist. okay. Well, that's okay. That's the issue right there. Is if they don't right. own any farmland, but why would they? Why would in a country of the United States, three hundred fifty million people? Why would three hundred fifty million people not own any land? Only if government can make that happen. And we have like government programs that have helped like these big corporate uh, corporate farms consolidate all this land and, and take it over. So it is shifting towards that. But the reality is, like, if the government collapses and they can't feed everyone, and everyone's like, screw your system they you know there's not going to be anyone to protect their farms either so people are just going to take it back right um if but it got so, so the, the and, and it's only government property so they're not stealing from from private individuals right so um right. but but that I, I that, think that is the socialist the communist argument is that if there is an opportunity where somebody can gain a monopoly on the means of production that mm -hmm. that breaks everything and so the only way to avoid that is to have the government owns the means of production. Now I'm, I'm playing. Well, I guess that's that. what I'm saying is like, what, what, what I'm saying is not that that should happen. What I'm saying is if that did happen in a free market system, it would never be sustainable. If somebody had that monopoly and if they had the monopoly on food production, but not on, not the monopoly on land, because yeah. the monopoly on land is, is, 
through government. The monopoly right. on food production might be like, oh, no, food's so cheap. Let's just let Coca-Cola make everything for us. And then we get used to just buying from Coca-Cola. And then Coca-Cola says, okay, now that we make all the food, we're going to charge you like $50 million for everything, but nobody has any jobs, so you're all starving. Then right. people would say, okay, but we have all this land. Let's go back to farming. But my point is like that would never happen because like the 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 market pressures are always like, you know, there's that there's that chart that's like if you increase the price too high, your sales go down or every time you increase the price, the sales go down. Once you cross a certain point, your profits start going down, too, because, you know, so like, yeah, you could sell one piece of corn for one hundred million dollars. But if you sold, you know, right. you could make two hundred million dollars by selling half as much at like a fraction of the price. There is a. uh the 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 best example for this sort of thing for me is that we used to have a very socialist model for transportation in cities called taxi cabs and in order for a taxi cab to get a license it had to get it from the government and you couldn't drive people around without a, what's called a livery license and then right. uber sort of found a way around that but the one thing if you're ever arguing with a socialist to say you know, Uber would be illegal under socialism. And, and obviously Uber's has not been the best corporate citizen. You say Uber, Lyft, whatever ride share you want. Under socialism, the government will control the transportation market uh, and not allow, there'll be no surge pricing, right? And surge pricing depends on people wanting to get out there and make more money <coughs> under a government controlled system. The government controls the means of production. So it's not going to send more people out for surging or right. anything like that. You're just going to have to suck. And for the kids who don't remember, taxi cabs used to be disgusting on the inside. <laughs> like you would get in there, just half-eaten food, used condoms, all sorts of gross stuff all over the place. But they had a monopoly. They had a government enforced monopoly. And so they didn't bother to clean it up. What are they going to do? if you get in a taxi cab when they're competing with Uber, cabs are spotless and Uber vehicles are spotless. So, right. all right, now well, we've gone even, way over. Go even ahead. under socialism... In, I just want to throw this out there. In China, they have what are called black cabs, which is basically some guy who's driving around. He doesn't have a taxi sign. He's not oh, yeah. licensed. But people are like, hey, those taxis are fucking expensive. Black cab right here. Pick me up. Where are you going? Well, I'll, I'll tell you two stories about that. So San Francisco, uh, or before Uber, if you ever wanted to go to San Francisco, the cab ride had this subsidy on it that was insane. Like a $50 it was double the price of a regular cab fare. But all the time in the badge claim areas, there are guys running around and, hey, man, when we go to San Francisco, I'll take you in there. For right, 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 right. Um, and and, they, and now the airports are like, warning, uh, don't get into a cab that's not. And it's like they're, they're trying they, they try to make you afraid as if like those are the cabs that are going to rob you. <laughs> and right. it's like, no, those are the cabs that are going to give you a better price. <laughs> exactly right. However, now you tell me. My understanding is that if you are a gringo in Mexico City, don't get into the car with a guy who says, hey, I have a private taxi service. Uh, I haven't seen that one before. I will really? say this. You always you always ask for the price before you get in because uh, sometimes you'll get there and they'll just, they'll just be like, oh, yeah, you know, they'll give you some ridiculous price. Um, but sometimes, you know, I ask and like, I've gone to some places where like the gringos don't go, the tourists don't go, you must not be a tourist. And they'll tell me it's 30 pesos. And then other, other cat taxis will tell me like 200 for the same ride. Right. So, um, it, it's, I, I you, mean, ask, it may, you ask beforehand because there's no be meters or anything. This is all just like, you know, whatever. Right. It may be different. And now when I was a kid, uh, my 
high school always took a trip to Mexico City. And uh, one of the things that they really impressed upon you is that just don't get into a car with somebody unless it's an official tax, uh, official Mexico City taxi, et cetera, et cetera, because there are all these people. And trust me, they'd love nothing more than to, you know, haul you away and ask us for a thousand dollars. Right. I Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I know that's like, you know, we're, we're told, you know, don't go to Mexico. You're going to get kidnapped and all that kind of stuff. I don't think it's, I, I, I think I, it's I probably know. different where you are too, though. Like, yeah, I mean, it's possible too. It, I, I know, for example, you know, in Cancun, all the hotels have a vested interest in making sure that everybody feels super safe there. Uh, it, the cartel does too. Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, right. You go, uh, 30 miles West of Cancun and, uh, Things can get Different a little. Story. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. <laughs> you have had right. me on too long. I appreciate it. It is awesome. Thanks for coming. Um, if you guys like the show, even if you didn't, make sure to like and share, comment, head over to youtube.com slash taxation is theft and subscribe. Um, and I'll see you guys next time. Taxation is theft. People for Liberty out.